the first weekend without the NFL. And we all survived. But we got some news on the NFL that we've got to pass along to you tonight. And a certain team is coming back to the capital city. You'll hear my opinions on that as well. The Jackets sweep the Coors Light trip and now have two pivotal games starting tonight at Nationwide Arena. While the Walleye sweep the fuel and Cincinnati takes two of three on the East Coast trip, which sets up this huge weekend matchup for the Fish and the Clones. And... BG looks to improve in front of a sellout crowd yet again. Could they top the Rockets and finally get their first win as a university against the University of Toledo in over three years? We'll discuss it. I hope you had your toboggans and ice skates out. To get to work today, because it was an icy, sloppy mess to get to work. But no sloppiness here, and no skating here, because the Zambonis clean the ice. Because it's time for All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. It's time for All Andy Alfred. Ah, I love you guys, and welcome into another edition of All Andy Alford tonight, right here on the 12th of February, 2018. I am your host, Andy Alford, coming to you from the Man Cave Studios here in Toledo, Ohio, welcoming you into All Andy Alford today, and welcoming you into the show, and you are listening to me on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes and Apple Music. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Whether it be on your Android device with Google Play, as well as on Spotify, Stitcher, Podcasts Now, however you listen to me, wherever you're listening to me, and whenever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program tonight as you are listening to all Andy Alfred, and you could be a part of the show. You could always be a part of the show. By following us on Twitter, it is at... All Andy Elford. It is at All Andy Elford. So welcome aboard the show tonight. Of course, got a lot to get into tonight. We're going to recap the the Coors Light trip for the Blue Jackets as they headed out to Colorado, Arizona, and to the beautiful Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada for our three-game set before now returning home. The Jackets did make a splash and made a minor league deal. We'll talk about that on the show tonight as well. We'll also talk a little bit of, speaking of minor leagues, we'll talk a little bit about the East Coast Hockey League, which is the AA affiliate of the NHL. We'll talk about the Toledo Walleye and their weekend against the Indy Fuel. And we'll talk about the Cincinnati Cyclones this past weekend going on the road in the East, in the Eastern Division, in the North Division, to take on three pivotal teams that they could possibly see possibly see later on down the road when it comes to the playoffs and of course we'll also dive into the college basketball scene as well and talk about a huge game that took place at the Stroh Center this past Saturday night 
And you'll hear Michael Huger's press conference right here on All Andy Alford. So welcome aboard to you tonight. And like I said, you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at All Andy Alford. It is at All Andy Alford. And of course, tonight as well, happening at the Huntington Center, it is SmackDown Live, WWE's uh, Tuesday night brand show is the blue brand is at the Huntington Center tonight. Uh, Becky Lynch, it's going to be Charlotte Flair, Asuka, AJ Styles, the WWE champion Daniel Bryan, as well as Randy Orton, uh, Mustafa Ali, of course. And I'm looking forward to seeing the one, the only, The Miz, of course, as well. So welcome into the show. And before we begin get into anything tonight, I want to talk about the NFL. Now, you all know my opinion about certain situations with the NFL. And you know that once the Super Bowl has ended, I don't like talking about the NFL. I don't want to discuss it until we get to draft time. And I don't want to talk about the NFL, but it has to be discussed due to the fact of the, the local spectrum for it. Now, if it was L.A. or Arizona or anything like that, you know, I wouldn't talk about it. If it was if it was something in the New York market, I might discuss it on this program, but it affects the local team and it affects a local kid as well too. If you haven't heard, if you haven't been if you were born underneath a rock today on Monday, Kareem Hunt, the former running back Draft pick from the Kansas City Chiefs, who was having a was having a breakout season with the Chiefs, was signed by the Cleveland Browns. It is a two-year deal right now. This is what was reported. Uh, two-year deal it looks like. Um, no disclosed amount of cash that was announced for this, but here's the situation with this: Kareem Hunt has not played in the NFL since back into October when the video surfaced of him beating up a woman in a Cleveland hotel before the NFL draft. Excuse me, in between his first and second year in the NFL. Now, I say this because there's going to be a lot of backlash. A lot of backlash when it comes to situation with this situation and everybody's asking me my, my opinion about this well I'll give you my my real opinion about this I think this is a great move for the Browns but this could also hurt the Browns in the long run now you figuratively think about this this guy is still under investigation by the Cleveland Police Department with the video act with the video present so he's under still investigation the NFL has him under investigation as well, too, because of the actions, which puts him into the commissioner's exempt list, which means he is suspended without pay until the investigation is done against him by the NFL. So, what does this mean? Will we see him on the football field this upcoming season? I don't think so. I don't think this is a. I don't think he's going to be on the football field this upcoming season because of the fact that Cleveland PD is not wrapping this case up as quickly as possible. Now, this is, was this a good move 
for him to go to to Cleveland? Yes. He was he was born on the east side of Cleveland. Um his mother and his family still lives there. You know, it's it's going to be a good move for them. I really think it'll be a good move for him. And he is getting the counseling and getting the resources to fix his actions for this. Now, saying that I thought that Kareem Hunt would never, never, never choose a small market like Cleveland, Ohio. I could have saw him go, and I've told many people about this off, off the show, that I think he could go to play with the Bears, with Nagy. I could see him going to, I could see him going to Minnesota. I could see him going to, you know, a, a, a small market team like a Jacksonville or a Tennessee that's small. I couldn't see him going to a New York or, or a LA or, or got a Green Bay at the same time too, or New England or a Pittsburgh because of how much people look into this. He's getting the counseling. He's with his family in Cleveland, this is a perfect fit. You know, he's not going to get bombarded by the media. He's not going to get followed and tailed the whole entire way. So this is a great move by him. A great move by him. And a great move by the organization. If he does come back to play this year, I'm going to say this right now. I'm boldly going out this. And I know it's February. But with a rookie, with a sophomore quarterback in Baker Mayfield, a seasoned player like Kareem Hunt will help Nick Chubb. And if they draft the right pieces on the offensive line and defensive line, then I could safely say this. And this is safely saying this. If it comes down to that, then the Cleveland Browns are going to win the AFC North Championship. Now, I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying book it for next year that the Browns are going to win a, win the champion win the AFC Championship or win the Super Bowl. I'm just saying this: if it comes down to Kareem Hunt playing, and we saw a perfect example of this. In Chicago this year. With Khalil Mack going to the Bears. Powering that defense. And that defense blowing through the the NFC North. Winning the division. One player can make a difference. One player can make a difference. And especially with a high power running back that is Kareem Hunt. Damn well, better believe that the Browns would be for real if he if he gets to play on the on on Sundays again. Now the situation warrants it this: if the Browns get the job done and get what the pieces they need at draft time, then they're golden. They're golden. And if you don't get if you if you don't if you don't get Cream Hunt. But you still get the pieces. You still have a legitimate chance to win the AFC North. 
because you have a season running back slash fullback in Nick Chubb. And I've told you this, I have told you this, and I have told you this right here on this show countless times. Nick Chubb is going to be one of the best players and the best running back the Browns have had since Jim Brown. Book it. I'll tell you that right now. They got him for a steal in the NFL draft. Georgia is a high-powered offense. So is Baker Mayfield. So is that offensive scheme. And I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Kitchens is going to have his crew ready to go. Kitchens is going to have his crew ready to go for this. But we'll see what happens with the Kareem Hunt situation. It's an ongoing investigation still. And he is, like I said, on the commissioner's exemplus. So that means that he's going to be not playing. And we don't know how many games he's going to be suspended. We really don't know. But we do know one thing. When he comes off suspension, he will be wearing brown and orange. And I'm not talking Bowling Green for the former UT graduate. He will be wearing Cleveland brown and orange and be in the dog pound. Because right now he is in the pound, but the wrong kind of pound. So I welcome Kareem Hunt. To the Cleveland Browns. And we'll see what happens. We'll absolutely see what happens. As you're listening to all Andy L for tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcasts Now, however you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in. And to continue on the football spectrum briefly, uh, it was announced last week that the AFL. The Arena Football League is coming back. It's coming back this season. And a certain team is coming back as well, too. Now, the Cleveland Gladiators are in a hiatus right now in the AFL because with the Q still in the process of renovations, they are not doing any renovations now due to the fact that it is the wintertime and Cavs and the monsters are in action, so the building is filled every other night, and I also have concerts. So they're not going to do many much of the renovations until the summer, so the gladiators are in hiatus. However, a certain team that has been in dormant since 2012 is coming back to fruition, folks. And yes, the AFL is coming back to Columbus. The AFL announcing this the other night, the other day. Columbus has been awarded an AFL franchise. Will it be the Destroyers? I don't know. The question I'm posing to you, the fans, will you make the trek to Columbus for an AFL game? And better yet, later on in the program, I'm going to be having my Andy rants, and we're going to talk about the AFL program as well too. But it is a tremendous Success to see that the the Cleveland team is coming, not the Cleveland team, excuse me, the Columbus team is coming back to the Arena Football League, and they draw about fourteen to fifteen thousand a game. Fourteen to fifteen thousand a game, folks. That tells you a lot of people care about football in the capital city. 
Now the question is, will they come out and support? Because AFL football has been dormant since 2012 in Columbus. People have changed. The, the price of a ticket has changed as well too for a sporting event. So will they come out and support this team? Time will tell. They get back in. They get into the season this upcoming June for AFL football, and it'll be great to see Nationwide get get some use in the building. I know I'll probably go to at least one game because I really want to see what how they do. I never went to a Destroyer game. I heard good things about it, so we'll see. We will absolutely see. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens for the Columbus's new arena football team. And we don't know if it's going to be the Destroyers or we don't know what team they're going to rename it. It's still in the preliminary stages, but they are taking season ticket deposits right now. So if you got your tickets, go get your tickets for this if you want season tickets. It's a great league to see. Absolutely great league to see. As you are listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network. And that is either on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcasts. Now, however you're listening to me tonight, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in. And now let's hit from the gridiron and the carpet to the hardwood. Bowling Green had a big matchup this past Saturday night at the Stroh. Let's break it down as it was a rematch for the Battle of I-75. So this past Saturday night at the Stroh Center, the rematch tagged for the rematch of the Battle of I-75 as the Bowling Green State University Falcons hosted the University of Toledo at the Stroh Center. A great crowd on hand, 5,000 plus in attendance for the game. A lot of Toledo fans making the trek down to the Stroh Center for the one and only matchup that they will face in the regular season. Now we could see this matchup again. Come postseason time. We could see this. Come postseason time. But. What a game. What an absolute barn burner game. Now if you watch the game. On ESPN3 like I did. I did not get a chance to go down to the store center. This time to watch. BG play. But Bowling Green. Coming out strong in the game early on and only being down by two at the half. You know, for me, I said to myself, we could be in a worser situation. You know, we could be in a worse situation. Dylan Fry having a breakout game so far. But here's my biggest fear with this Bowling Green team right now. And I have said this so many times on this show. You live by the three, you die by the three. Let me repeat that again. You live by the three, you die by the three. That's what happened with Bowling Green. Bowling Green plays more towards the three-point shot than anything else. Huger's got to get his crew better at that. And it showed in the Toledo game. They were going for shots beyond the arc. And it was killing me. It was killing me to see that. 
was an utter disgrace. For them to keep shooting three balls and missing them, hitting the iron, and then what happens? UT picks that ball up, drives it down the court, lays it up in for two, gives the pass out, possibly a three for a three, nails it nine times out of ten. And here's the thing. Bowling Green had opportunity after opportunity to get back into the ball game, and they did a couple times. They take a lead. It'll be a one-point or a two-point lead, and the crowd would get into it, and then Toledo would just kill the momentum from the crowd. They would kill the momentum and kill any opportunity that they would get to get to to give Bowling Green the opportunity to get a better score and get higher up in the scoreboard. Chris Darlington, a kid that I was not expecting, coming off the bench, having a solid game, a fantastic game for the University of Toledo. I was worried about Kanapke, I was worried about Stanford, and I was worried about Navigato. And this Darlington just lit us up in the game. He had 20 points, 4 rebounds, no assist. He was 3 for 6 from beyond the arc. 5 for 9 for free field goals made. Littleson. Was held to no points. But here's how Toledo played. Toledo played. Shut down basketball. And again. I say it again. When Bowling Green was behind. Late. They kept shooting. For the three ball. And it killed. Bowling Green. They were outscored in the second half of that basketball game, 43 to 38. They were down two at halftime. They lose by seven overall as UT beats Bowling Green yet again in another sport, 78 71. Now, here's a stat for you. If Bowling Green, and now I had this written up already in in my scorecard here. If Bowling Green would have won this game, here's a stat of the day for you, Pauly Paps and Steve O'Connor from Dan Patrick Show. If Bowling Green would have won the game, it would have been the first win against your rival school in all of the four major sporting events, we're talking men's and women's basketball, that's two, football, and baseball, four. It would have been the first win for Bowling Green against Toledo since 2017 when the women's basketball team Beat the University of Toledo by a score of 72 to 66. And that was Trisha Kolf's first year at the UT helm. And that was Jennifer Ruse's second year. That was the last time 
the last time Bowling Green has beaten UT in any of the big four sporting events. There's your stat of the day for you, boys. Now, here's a, here's a key piece. My, my father, you know, observant of what my comment was about that, he said, well, what about this past season when Bowling Green played Toledo in baseball? I said, true. That is a true statement. However, it was played as a doubleheader. The UT men played the BG men, and it was the same way in softball as well, too. UT has beaten BG in softball. BG played UT in baseball. UT won game one of the doubleheader. Game two was going in favor of Bowling Green, but it played four and a quarter innings of baseball. A college game has to go five and a third, five and two thirds of a game for it to be an official game. And Bowling Green could not get that done. So Bowling Green loses to Toledo 78-71 in front of a sold-out Stroh Center this past Saturday night. Looking at some of the box scores, Navigato, 14 points, 4 rebounds, 1 assist. Um, Jackson had 9 points. He had 7 rebounds, 3 assists in the game. For Bowling Green, Wiggins had 16 points. 11 rebounds, 1 assist. He was 7 for 8 from field goal range, 2 for 2 at the 3 throw line. Dylan Fry shut down in this one, 17 points. He was the leading scorer, though, in the game. 2 rebounds, 2 assists. He was 6 for 18, 3 for 11 from 3-point range. I say it again, 3 for 11 from 3-point range. Overall, from 3-point range, the University of Bowling Green State University was 5 for 27. That's 18.5%. University of Toledo was 10 for 29 from the beyond the arc, 34.5%. Tells you right there. And UT was a better three-throw shooter. They knocked down 14 of 17. Bowling Green stopping knocking down 14 of 22 from the charity stripe. Lillard had, uh, excuse me, Matt Laster had nine points off the bench for Bowling Green. He had six rebounds and four assists. Pulling that double-double for you right there. Uh, Turner had nine points in the game. He had three rebounds and one assist. He was four for 14 from field goal range. He was 0 for 7 from beyond the arc. Again, I say it, Bowling Green played terrible beyond the arc in this game. They had Bowling Green had... But here's the thing. Toledo had 18 total turnovers in the game. 18. Bowling Green had 8. BG had 9 steals. Toledo had 6. Bowling Green out offensive rebound. UT 13-9. But on the defensive rebound, Bowling Green was 34 to BG's 25. Unbelievable. So yet again, the I-75 rivalry continues, and UT gets to win. Now uh, we have the audio from Michael Huger's postgame from this past Saturday night at the Stroh Center. He'll talk about his team 
He talks about his the way that they played, uh, jokingly around a little bit. Well, he also thanks the fans as well too. So uh, here it is from courtesy from the BGSU Athletic Department on their YouTube channel. This is uh, Michael Huger's press conference from this past Saturday night's loss to the University of Toledo. Toledo did a very good job uh, offensively. Uh, they were the better team tonight. They played uh, extremely well, and um, that was the difference in the game. Oh, they made shots. They made shots. That was the difference. They were able to score, and we didn't score, and that was the difference. Uh, uh, they were able to get the stops because we missed, and uh, they were able to execute on the offensive end, and that was really the difference in the game. They made their free throws down the stretch, and that's the game. Thank you. Yes, I did. Um, we weren't tough during the end when we needed to be mentally tough and physically tough enough. Uh, Sanford got an offensive rebound put back when we got a stop. Um, you know, we misplayed. Uh, we left them wide open in transition one time. And uh, those are the things, that's, that's the mental part of the game that, that we weren't focused and locked in on, the mental part. And uh, that affected us as the game went on, and especially the last four minutes. We were normally locked in and focused and ready to go, and um, we, we, we weren't able to execute what we normally do at the end. And, you know, I don't know exactly what it was, the rivalry, if the game was too big or any of that stuff. So uh, we've been in big games before. It's always special against Toledo. So uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to be a part of. The crowd was great. The students uh, would love to thank them for coming out and supporting us the way they did today. Um, you know, when you can get another two consecutive sellouts at home, you know, we're doing something right. But uh, definitely uh, they did a much better job than we did, and that's why they won. And did the back and forth nature of most of this game kind of play into that at all, or was it just Toledo had some? No, I, I think, you know, at the, the last four minutes of the game, they were better than us in the last four minutes. And that's that was the, the, the game is right there. It can go either way. We make those shots. Now we get a stop. Now the game goes the other way. So uh, it's just we had great looks. We just have to knock them down. We had the guys taking those shots that we wanted, taking the shots, and uh, we missed. And they came down and they scored. And that's basketball. You know, you got to be able to take advantage of your opportunities, and we didn't. Notice you had a moment with Darrington after the game in the handshake line. You had a pretty good game. What, what impression did you make on you? What impression did I make on him? No, the other way. <laughs> I mean, you took a moment to say something to him. You must have made an impression. With, you know, what did you I told him you're a hell of a player. Uh, keep doing what you do. You, you did a great job and, you know, continue to work hard. It was quicker than what you just said. 
No, <laughs> it was, it was, you know, a conversation that we had to have, and we talked about, you know, what we didn't do well and uh, what we need to do well the next time. Uh, we can't harp on this game and let this game affect the next affect the next game. Um, we lost at Miami of Ohio, and we bounced back and played Buffalo and played Western and had two great games, and uh, we, we should be able to put this one behind us and. Uh, prepare ourselves for Central Michigan, and they're coming in for a win. We beat them. We were the first team to beat them up at Central, so they're coming in trying to get some revenge. So we got to come prepared and ready to go. So uh, that's the biggest thing we talked about, and we should be able to recover from this one. How difficult is it to take the lessons from a loss like tonight without dwelling on the loss? It's, it's one game at a time. It's only one game. We lost twice now, so... Um, we should be able to bounce back from that and understand what it is, what we did. We have to correct some things, and uh, once we do that and understand, once we watch the film and show them what we need to correct, uh, we, we should be fine. But um, games come quick, so that's what I like about this. We're not football where you got to wait a week after that. So uh, the games are coming. We, we don't have time to really, you know, just sulk and, and, and be sorry and feel sorry for ourselves. We, we played a good game. We just didn't play a great game and they were able to execute down the stretch and that was the difference. We were there the whole game and we had an opportunity to win. They took advantage of it and they won. So you just heard Michael Huger, the head ball coach for our Bowling Green State University Falcons and BG their hard fought, hard fought game in front of the sold out Stroud Center, and to see that go down like that, lose by seven, really hurts. As you're listening to all Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network. And um, let's recap a little bit more about uh, the hard court as well. And let's talk a little bit more about the MAC. We had games on Saturday night besides Bowling Green and Toledo. You had the 23rd-ranked Buffalo Bulls taking on the Central Michigan Chippewas and Buffalo getting a 90-76 win over the Chips, Miami of Ohio getting the 79-59 win over the Ohio Bobcats. Eastern Michigan a 57-49 win over the Northern Illinois Huskies. It was Western Michigan falling to Ball State 79-59. Now games tonight on the docket. A big game happening up at Mount at the Stroh Center, seven o'clock tip. It is Central Michigan taking on Bowling Green. Now Central Michigan. Loses to Bowling Green earlier this season. A heartbreaking loss for Central Michigan. They look to tail tail and get the rematch tonight at the Stroh Center. 7 o'clock tip tickets are still available by call by going to bgsufalcons.com. Also on the docket, you have 23rd ranked Buffalo taking on Akron. That's a 7 o'clock tip on ESPN+. Plus Northern Illinois is at Western Michigan. And Eastern Michigan is at Ohio. For the Rockets, the Rockets don't get back into play until Friday night when they will host Buffalo. That game, 7 o'clock tip at Savage Arena against Buffalo. 7 o'clock tip on ESPNU. Western Michigan on Thursday night will be hosting Kent State at 5 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus, Looking at some of the top 25 games in action last night on the docket. It was Kansas losing to TCU in upsetting fashion, 69-67. And Virginia 
beating North Carolina 69-61 last night uh, in Raleigh-Durham. Tonight on the docket, some big games. 12th-ranked Purdue takes on 24th-ranked Maryland. Michigan State is 11th-ranked in the country. They'll take on Wisconsin 17-7. Wisconsin, they're 20th-ranked in the country. Kentucky and John Calipari's team, 5th-ranked, will take on LSU in Kentucky. 7 o'clock tip for that one. Buffalo is at Ak- at Akron. 7 o'clock tip for that one. 10th-ranked Marquette is at DuPaul. 6th-ranked Michigan is at Penn State. The Dukies, 12-21-2 overall, will take on 16th-ranked Louisville, 17-7. And, and Kansas State is at Texas, 9 o'clock tip on ESPN2. Looking at the top 25 for college, college basketball looks like this. Going into tonight's play, it looks like this. The number one team still overall in the college basketball rankings right now is the Tennessee Volunteers. They're still number one ranked overall with a solid record overall of 21-22-1. Duke is second at 21-2. Gonzaga goes up one. They're at number three at twenty-three and two. Virginia with their win tonight, over over uh, with their win yesterday over North Carolina, goes now to, is at fourth at twenty and two. Kentucky is fifth rank at twenty and three. Sixth rank Michigan is twenty-two and two. Twenty twenty-three and one is Nevada. Twenty nineteen and four is North Carolina. Houston is twenty-three and one. They were up three rank three points. In the rankings, Marquette is 10th at 20 and 14. Michigan State 19 and 5, down two in the polls. Purdue is 17 and 6. 13th ranked Villanova, 14th ranked Kansas, 15th ranked T- Texas Tech University. Louisville is at 16th ranked. Florida State 17th ranked. At 18th ranked is Kansas, Kansas Wildcats. LSU is 19th ranked. Wisconsin is 20th ranked. Iowa is 21st. Virginia Tech is 22nd. Iowa State 23rd. Maryland is 24th. And Buffalo is 25th. Dropping out of the top 25 is the Cincinnati Bearcats, unfortunately. They had 76 76 votes, but they did not break the poll. And the funny thing is, looking at the coaches poll, Bowling Green did get votes last week at the coaches poll for beating Buffalo. But this week, Toledo gets one vote. Bowling Green did not get a single vote this week in the coaches' poll. So those are the games happening tonight on the docket in college basketball as well as what's happening uh, at the Mid-American Conference. And speaking of the Mid-American Conference, here is the standings going into tonight's play for the MAC. Is with, Buff- with Bowling Green losing... To Toledo, they're now eight and two overall. Buffalo is eight and two overall as well, and it's a virtual tie for first place. But Buffalo holding the tiebreaker with the overall record at twenty and three. BG sixteen and seven. Kent State is six and four in MAC play, two games out of first place, seventeen and six overall. Akron is six and four as well, two games out of first place, fourteen and nine overall. Miami of Ohio is five and six, three and a half games out of first place. 13-11 overall, and Ohio is 3-7, five games out, 11-11 overall in conference, in overall play. It is going to be 
in the MAC West. Toledo eight and three overall with their big win against Bowling Green. They improved to twenty and four overall. Central Michigan is five and five, two and a half games out of first place. They are sixteen and seven overall. Northern Illinois is five and six, three games out of first place, twelve and twelve overall. Eastern Michigan is four and six, three and a half games out of first place, ten and thirteen overall. Ball State four and seven, four games out of first place, thirteen and eleven overall. And Western Michigan has not yet won a conference game. They're zero and ten, seven and a half games out of first place. They're six and seventeen overall this season. As you are listening to all Andy Alford tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcasts now. However you listen to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program. And now let's dive on into the ice. I mean, after all, we had this big old ice storm happening outside today. Why not talk about the ice? And let's talk about the Coors Light trip for our Columbus Blue Jackets. So the Jackets were on this big West Coast trip. And when I last left you, they got the job done against Colorado this past week, beating the Avalanche. And getting the job done. And now they were headed into Arizona to take on the Coyotes. Big game for the Jackets. As these are three pivotal games you know, that could really set the tone for the rest of the season and the rest of this road trip. But their big win on Tuesday night by a score of 6-3. They took on the Arizona Coyotes on Thursday night. And Selkie Cat started off the scoring for the Jackets. His third of the season from the assist of Riley Nash, and it was one nothing Jackets. And then David Savard off the faceoff, getting the job done, beating the goaltender, beating the Coyotes goaltender, Cooper, Knooper, and the Jackets were up 2 to nothing after 20 minutes of play. And I'm just sitting back, relaxing, and enjoying this one, saying, you know, Jackets are a good first, first period team. Let's see what happens during the second period, and sure enough, the Coyotes come out with a fiery presence. Four minutes and 20 seconds into the second period, Olsterly scoring his fifth of the season from Cousins and Fisher, making it 2-1, and then on a breakaway, Garling beating Sergei Bobrovsky with a wrister, and his 11th of the season from Olsterly, his 12th assist, tying the game at two apiece before Andy himself, Josh Anderson, Barry's a power play goal for the Jackets. And the Jackets are up 3-2 to two at the 10-24 mark of the second period. Then after that, Boone Jenner then from the point buries it past Kepney to get the Jackets a 4-2 lead. And that was the final at Glen, Are- Glen River Arena in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. As the Jackets get a 4-2 win over the Arizona Coyotes Jackets out shooting Arizona by a score by a count of 33 to 31. They were 64% at the faceoff dot to the Coyotes 34%. Jackets one for two on the power play. Arizona 0 for three in the game in the power play. The Jackets were out hit in the game by a score of 44 to 36. Anders uh, Kupke stopping a total of 29 of 33 shots. His save percentage of point eight. 7-9, and good to see Bob getting back on the snide, stopping 29 of 31. His save percentage a point nine three five. So the Jackets getting a big win in the desert. They moved up to Nevada and headed into Sin City on a, a great 
Saturday night matchup, a great Saturday night matchup, as the Jack is headed into T-Mobile Arena, to one of the hardest places to play, in my opinion, right now in the NHL, because all the lights, all the all the noise, all the the excitement, all the entertainment value that Vegas offers in their games did not distract the Jackets at all in that game this past Saturday night. They had a job to get done, and they got it done. And it started with Josh Anderson getting another goal, his 19th of the season, from Seth Jones and Boone Jenner on a tip-in shot. Jonesy taking it from the point, taking the shot, tips off of Anderson, beating the goaltender for the Golden goaltender for the Golden Knights, Mark Andre Fleury, as Anderson gets his 19th of the season from Jones and Jenner. It was one nothing CBJ before Nick before Schmidt buries it past Sergey Bobrovsky on a deflection, tying the game at one apiece. Um, Smith and Rasmussen t- getting the assist, tying the game at one apiece before Merrill. Bearing it at the 1749 mark of the first period on a slap shot, shorthanded, beating Sergey Bobrovsky, and Vegas was up two to one. And I'm saying to myself, okay, after 20 minutes, we're only down one. That's fine. I will take it. I will absolutely take it for right now. We just need to settle down, relax, you know, just take it easy. You know, it, it, Vegas is a hard place to play at. It's one of those difficult teams. You know, to battle with. And sure enough, the Jackets came out in the second period and they came out strong. They came out strong in the second period. Weather the storm and Artemi Panarin, the moldy bread himself, buries his 21st of the season from Bjorkstrand and Harrington on a wrist shot, beating Marc Andre Fleury, tying the game at two apiece. And it was it was 2 2 after, tw- after 40 minutes of play. And now I'm saying to myself, okay, the next goal, the next goal is going to basically for me determine who's going to win this game. Because once Vegas gets rolling, they're pretty much unstoppable in the third period. They're a very good third period team. But so are the Jackets. But Vegas did come out swinging in the third period as Eakin scoring his 15th of the season on the slap shot, beating Sergei Bobrovsky at the 921 mark of the third period from Miller and Pelomere, making it 3-2 before and then after that, the cam show shows up to close down Timo Arena on Saturday night. Taking the wrist shot. From the pass from Artemi Panarin. Bearing his 30th goal of the season. This guy is not getting any credit by any of the NHL writers. He's got 30 goals this season. 30 goals this year. Panarin his 41st assist. Dubois his 28th. And the Jackets tied at three apiece. And I'm saying to myself... Oh my God, we're tied up against Vegas. Please, God, let us not go to overtime. And yet again, Cam gets the job done. On the power play. This power play is working. Finally. Finally. 
getting the job done. On the power play. St. Louis is doing his job. Getting this team where it needs to be on the power play. Atkinson, his 31st of the season. For Wawrinski and Panarin, a wrist shot on the power play. And the Jackets, with that goal, Cam Atkinson, propel the Jackets in Vegas in front of a sold-out crowd of 17,000. Shuts it down. And the Jackets win 4-3 in Vegas. Unbelievable. The Jackets out shooting Vegas in the game 33-23. They led in the faceoff die 52% to 47%. They were 1-for-2 on the power play. Vegas 0-for-1 on the power play. The Jackets had 4 minutes in penalties. It was a double minor penalty for a high stick. The Jackets out hitting Vegas 33-26 to in the game. Atkinson, the number 1 star. Eakin, the number 2 star. And Merrill, the number 3 star for Vegas. Marc-Andre Fleury stopping 29 of 33. His save percentage of point eight seven nine. The Jackets, Bobrovsky again getting another start. Stopping 20 of 23 in the game. His save percentage of point eight seven zero. So the hugs continue for the Jackets. And now it is a huge weekend for the Jackets. Four pivotal games. Until the next time I talk to you. Four pivotal games for the Jackets. Tonight, at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard, the Jackets take on the defending Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. Now, the last time the Jackets played Washington, we had the Bird incident with Seth Jones and the team when Tom Wilson scored the tying goal with less than a minute to play in overtime. They they mocked the, the Bird at the end of the game We'll see what happens with that tonight. If there's any retaliation by Washington at at Nationwide with this. But this is a pivotal game for the Jackets. And I expect that Bobrovsky is going to make the start tonight. I don't know off the top of my head how uh, Morning Skate went. I didn't get the first readings uh, from from uh, from 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 Aaron Port's line and the Athletic to see who came out on the ice first. I'm I'm Guessing it's going to be Bob because you're riding the hot hand. He's got a three-game winning streak right now. So why not keep going with the same guy that's getting you the job done? And I said it again, and I will say it again. Bob gets the job done. Washington, this upcome tonight at Nationwide Arena. Then Thursday is a huge game. If you do not have tickets for this one, it is a preview, possibly, a possible preview of the Easter Conference semifinal as the Jackets battle the New York Islanders. A pivotal game for the Jackets. This is a pivotal game for the Jackets. The Islanders, the best team right now in the Metropolitan Division. We'll look at the standings here in just a moment. 7 o'clock puck drop at Nationwide Arena. Then they have a day off on Friday before they go into Chicago. An 8.30 puck drop at the United Center. And Patrick Kane lighting it up right now. He's right now on a 
game point streak right now, has a goal assist or a a a, a goal or assist. So he's getting a point in every game. We'll see what happens with that. But then Monday is a pivotal game for the Jackets. The best team in the NHL comes to Nationwide Arena in the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's a 7.30 puck drop. 7.30 puck drop. This game could be flexed because of the NBC uh, NHL on NBC game. It could be flexed. We don't know that yet. It is in discussion with NBC right now, but if it does go to an NBC game, it will be the first game, the second game this season that the Jackets will be on national television. And I think if that happens, you're gonna, in the words of Doc from from Back to the Future, you're gonna see some real going on. And then the Jackets will then hit the Montreal to battle the Canadians before two days off, before they battled the Ottawa Senators. But in the words of Michael Hewer, we take it one game at a time, and tonight we start with the Washington Capitals. Last night in the NHL, it was three games on the docket, and the Capitals were playing at home at at uh, Capital One Arena. They get the job done over the LA Kings by a score of six to four, six to four. So the Capitals are going to be coming in tired. Maybe this will help out the Jackets. But what killed the Jackets last night is that the Flyers could not get the job done against the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Penguins getting the better of the Battle of Pennsylvania with a four-one win over the Flyers. In the late game, saw the Sharks beating the Canucks by a score of four to one. Tonight on the docket, besides the Jackets Capitals game at seven o'clock, you have the Winnipeg Jets are. At home to take on the New York Rangers. Vegas is at home to take on the Arizona Coyotes. Boston is in at home against the Chicago Blackhawks. That game on NBCSN. Toronto is in Colorado to take on the Avalanche. The Islanders are in Buffalo to take on the Sabres. Dallas is in Florida to take on the Panthers. The Hurricanes are in Ottawa to take on the Senators. Tampa Bay is at home. The best two teams in either division right now, the Calgary Flames and the Tampa Bay Lightning battling it out. 7.30 puck drop for that one. Detroit is in Smashville to take on the Nashville Predators. St. Louis is in in St. Louis to take on the New Jersey Devils. And the Wild will be at home to take on the Philadelphia Flyers. The Wednesday night, if you want to know, Wednesday night's uh, rivalry game will be the Edmonton Oilers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So looking at the standings going into tonight's play for the Jackets, it looks like this, the top teams in each division for you. We'll start with the Atlantic Division. Tampa Bay is 41-11-4 with 86 points. They're the best team in the NHL right now. Toronto 34-18-3 with 71 points. Boston 31-17-8 with 70 points. Metropolitan Division looks like this. The Islanders are 33-16-6 with 72 points. The Washington Capitals are 31-18-7 with 69 points. The Jackets are now in third position in the Metropolitan Division with a record of 31-20-3 with 65 points. Wildcard standings looks like this. Montreal is in holding the first wildcard position with a record of 31-18-7 with 69 points. Pittsburgh is 29-20-7 with 65 points. 
and they're holding the second wild card position. On the outside, looking in Carolina, how about the Hurricanes? Still in the hunt at 28, 22, and 6 with 62 points. Buffalo 27, 21, and 7 with 61 points. Philadelphia 25, 24, and 7 with 57 points. The Rangers are 24, 23, and 8 with 56 points. The Panthers 23, 23, and 8 with 54 points. Then you get to the below 500 teams. You have the Devils at 21, 26, and 8 with 50 points. The Red Wings are right now at 21, 28, and 7 with 49 points. And the Ottawa Senators are 21, 29, and 5 with 47 points. In the Western Conference, the Central Division is right now in front is the Winnipeg Jets at 35, 18, and 3 with 73 points. Nashville is 33, 20, and 5 with 71 points. Dallas is 28, 22, and 5 with 61 points. In the Pacific Division, the best team in the Western Conference are the Calgary Flames at 34, 15, and 6 with 74 points. San Jose is 33, 16, and 7 with 73 points. And the Vegas Golden Knights are 31, 22, and 4 with 66 points. On the outside, in the wild card race, St. Louis is 27, 22, and 5 with 59 points. Minnesota is 24, tw- excuse me, 27, 24, and 5 with 59 points. On the outside looking in, trying to get into those two wild card positions, Vancouver is 25, 24, and 7 with 57 points. It is Colorado at 22, 22, and 11 with 55 points. Chicago 23, 24, and 9 with 55 points. Arizona 24, 26, and 5 with 53 points. Edmonton, 24, 26, and 5 with 53 points. It was the King. The Kings are 23, 28, and 5 with 51 points. And the Anaheim Ducks are 21, 26, and 9 with 51 points. And speaking of the Anaheim Ducks, Anaheim has fired uh, Randy Carlisle as their head coach. Um, it is not surprising to me. They have lost 21 of their last 26 games. It's 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 just sad to see that. It's just sad to see that you know he is, and uh, Bob Murray will now take up the role as head coach. He is the GM of the Anaheim Ducks. He will now take role of the coach, coaching helm until the end of the season. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the Jackets didn't make a move today. Pittsburgh has required has acquired defenseman Blake Schneibler from the Columbus Blue Jackets for a conditional 2019 seventh round pick. Schneibler was with the Cleveland Monsters most of the season and uh, not really doing that well. But it was a good pickup for the Jackets to get a seventh round pick. Also, Montreal acquired the forward Nate Thompson and a fifth round pick. In the 2019 pick draft from the LA Kings for a 2019 fourth round pick as well. Another big move on the 8th of February saw forward Emil Penderson from Nashville from the Predators for forwards Laurent Dufin and Adam Lewerka go to go to Nashville. And, and Arizona gets Emil Penderson in their play. And so we'll see what happens with that. So Randy Carlisle out as head coach. Um, also got to make mention of this as well too. Coming up this week, of course, oh, I wanted to mention this. Uh, Corey Crawford's now practicing with the 
Chicago Blackhawks, but he is the team is uncertain on when he's going to be making a return trip back to the Hawks itself. So you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now. However you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in, and let's continue to hit the ice, and let's talk about the walleye and their big series against Indianapolis, and let's talk about the Cyclones and their big East Coast trip. So walleye having a big weekend this past weekend at the Huntington Center, taking on the Indy Fuel, the AA affiliate of the of the Chicago Blackhawks, and to me, these were big games for the Fish because Cincinnati had a huge road trip on the East Coast playing Maine, Manchester, and Worcester. And speaking of the Cyclones, we'll start with them first and foremost because we're going to keep track on the Cyclones as they just pounded the Mariners on on uh, Friday night, getting seven goals in the first period alone. As Brady Vale, Penderson, Powell, Vale again, Stefan, and Vale again having a nat- having a hat trick in the first period alone, and you have Johnson all scoring seven nothing in favor of the Cyclones after twenty minutes of play. Absolutely amazing. Before Maine finally scoring two minutes and four seconds into the second period, cutting the deficit. To seven to one, as it was Chase scoring for the Mariners before Quinn getting his twentieth of the season, and the Cyclones getting a eight-one thumping, beating the Mariners eight-one in in Cross Insurance Arena in Maine, as the Cyclones out shooting Maine thirty-three to twenty-eight in the game. Cincinnati one for three on the power play, Maine one for four. In the game, Meany the loss he stopped seventeen to twenty before he was he was gets the loss, but Lock Coffin getting the start, stopping only stopping stopping eight of thirteen, allowing five goals in the game. Uh, Johansson's coming back from from Rochester, starting in the game for. The Cyclones stopping 27 of 28 in the game. So it's good to see the it's good for the Cyclones to get a, their the road trip started on the right foot with the win in Maine. Then Saturday night they went into Worcester and not Worcester, excuse me, they go into Manchester and they lose to the Monarchs by a score of 4 to 3 in that game. The Monarchs a good team started off the scoring at the 146 mark of the game with Camarcidi, his 13th of the year, then Walsh, his fourth, before Cincinnati getting on the board with Powell, his 18th of the season, Weidman, his 17th, Camarcidi, his 14th, his second of the game, getting the deficit in the second period to a 3-2 lead for Manchester. The Cyclones tying it up at the 1305 mark of the second period by Eric Cardotal, his 10th of the season, but Manchester too much for the Cyclones in the third period, eight with less than a minute to play in the game. Komatis his tenth of the season, and the Cyclones lose to the Monarchs by a score of four to three. They were the Cyclones out shooting the Monarchs in the game, thirty-seven to thirty-three. Both teams zero for on the power play. Cincinnati zero for three. Manchester zero for two. 
Michael Hauser starting for the Cyclones, stopping a total of 29 of 33 in the game. Williams for Manchester, stopping 34 of 37. So then you get into the final game of the road trip for the Cyclones. They took on the Wooster Railers and getting the job done in overtime by a score of 4-3, to three, getting a solid three points out of the possible five points that they could have gotten. Oh, no, excuse me. They got four points out of the possible six points that they could have gotten, so keeping them in front in the Central Division. Goal off his ninth of the season, Powell his 19th, and Jones, his third, starting getting the scoring early for the Cyclones, as it was three nothing after midway point of the second period for Wooster getting his goal. His as Hitchcock his eighth of the season, and Tyler Barnes his twentieth of the season for Wooster, and Holstrom his eleventh at the midway point of the third period, tying it up for the for the Railers before Brady Vale his seventeenth of the season from Atwall and Morrell. Beating Bertitas, his Bertitas, excuse me, in the game as the Cyclones getting a 4 3 win over the Wooster Railers. Final stats look like this Cincinnati had 34 shots on net to Wooster's 24. Both teams 0 for 4 on the power play. It was Johansson stopping 21 of 24 in the game, Brutus stopping 30 of 34 in the game. So the Cyclones taking four points out of the possible six, getting two big wins on the road this past weekend. Cyclones do not get back into action until until Wednesday night when they will play the Indy Fuel 735 puck drop for that one. But speaking of the Fuel, they were in Toledo this past weekend as they took on the walleye itself on Saturday night in a big two-game series for the Fish, and the Fish getting a 5-4 win at the Huntington Center. It was Josh Shalla, the former walleye himself, starting the scoring for Indianapolis at the 9:30:43 mark of the first period for Matt Register with less than a minute to play in the in the first period. Getting his second, getting his tenth of the season from Tyler Spezia, but not even four seconds left to go in the period. Nelson getting his eleventh of the season from Rupert and Brooks, and it was two-one Indianapolis after twenty minutes of play. Toledo getting back on the board with Kolek, his ninth, third of the season from Jenks and Bershback before Indianapolis retaliating right back five eleven into the second period as Iokopal from Nielsen and Schwartz making it a 3-2 game for Indianapolis. And then the Fish turned on the heat. It's Charlie O'Connor, his sixth of the season from Hunter Smith and Crawford, making it 3-3. And then Crawford then bearing it past the goaltender, DeFell, his second of the season from Burstback and Jenks. And it was 4-3 in favor of the Fish. Indianapolis ties it back up from Shore, his 11th of the season from Shallow and Brooks Butt. Dylan Sadaway getting the game winner five minutes and 48 seconds into the third period. And from Hensick and Koic and the Fish prevail at home at the Huntington Center by a score of 5-4. to four. Indy out shooting Toledo in the game, 35-31. Indianapolis 2-for-3 on the power play. Toledo 1-for-3 on the power play. Pat Nagel starting for the Fish. He stopped 31-35. of 35. The foul getting the loss, he stopped 26 of 31 in the final game of the series for the fish on Sunday 
saw the walleye getting a win by a score of four to one. The walleye getting goals from TJ Hensick, TJ Hensick, in the first period, leading it one to nothing before Charlie O'Connor getting his his seventh of the season from Birchbeck and Danforth. And it was 2-0 Fish. And then Dylan, Dylan Sadaway in the third period of the 9-39 mark of the third period, making it 3-0 in favor of the Walleye. Crawford and Spiza on the assist. Indianapolis by Copel, his second of the season at the 10-28 mark of the third period, made it 3-1. But it was Charlie O'Connor in the empty net, bearing it for the Fish and with a 4-1 win. In favor of the Walleye. The Walleye out shooting Indy in game two of the series. On the concluding game on Sunday. 35-23. to 23. Both teams over on the power play. Indy over 3. Toledo over 2. Caden Fulcher starting for the game. For the Fish stopping 22 of 23. Tompkins starting for Indy. He stopped 31 of 34. In front of a sellout crowd. At the Huntington Center. We had one game last night in the ECHL. Brampton was a winner 4-1 over the Reading Royals. Tonight on the docket, it will be the Tulsa Oilers in Wichita to take on the Wichita Thunder. Wednesday games look like this. Worcester is in Maine. South Carolina is in Norfolk. Manchester is in Jacksonville to take on the Iceman. Reading is in Wheeling to take on the Nailers. The Florida Everblades are at home to take on the Orlando Solar Bears. Atlanta is in Newfoundland to take. Uh, Newfoundland is in Atlanta to take on the Gladiators. Kansas City is in Tulsa. Kansas City hosting Tulsa, and Idaho is at home to take on the Rapid City Rush. The next game for the Fish is this upcoming Friday, a big series. The Walleye will start on the road at U.S. Bank Arena to take on the Cincinnati Cyclones, a pivotal two-game series for the Fish. In a pivotal three-game series, three games in three days starting Friday night. The Fish will take on the Cincinnati Cyclones 735 puck drop at U.S. Bank Arena before returning back to Toledo Saturday night at 715 puck drop against those same Cyclones. So a big games for the Fish this upcoming weekend and the Cyclones. And then Sunday sees Cincinnati going back to, back to U.S. Bank Arena to take on the Adirondack Thunder and Evan Pignick's Adirondack Thunder. So both BG boys doing the doing color and excuse me, both BG boys doing play by play for both teams. That's gonna be something to listen to. But Toledo will be at home taking on the Kalamazoo Wings for that one. And going into this weekend's play, this is what the standings look like in the ECHL. It right now stands looks like this. In the central division, Cincinnati is still in first place. With a record of 32-9-3-3 with 70 points. Toledo is 29-11-4-3 with 65 points. Fort Wayne is 23-17-2-4 with 52 points. Kalamazoo is 24-21-2 with 51 points. Indianapolis is 23-23-2-1 with 49 points. And the Wheeling Nailers are 21-22-5-1 with 48 points. In the Mountain Division in the Western Conference, Utah is holding strong at 13-4-1 with 65 points. Idaho is 29-17-1-2 with 61 points. you got to can't count off the Steelheads going forward. Tulsa is 26-17-4-2 with 58 points. Kansas City is 24-18-2-1 with 51 points. Rapid City is 20-24-4-3 with 47 points. Wichita is 19-22-5-3 with 46 points. And the Allen Americans are 16-34-2 with 38 points. In the 
in the Eastern Conference. Newfoundland still holding strong at first place with a record of 30 in the North Division with a record of 32-14-3-0 with 67 points. Adirondack 27-17-3-2 with 59 points. Manchester is 26-21-1-1 with 54 points. Brampton 25-20-3-1 with 54 points. Running 21-19-3-5 with 50 points. Worcester is 21-24-3 with 49 points. And the Maine Mariners are 23-24-0-1 with 47 points. The best team overall in the East Coast League comes from the South Division. I'm shaking my head here because it is such a chump division for Florida just to have have 71 points overall. They're 33-11-5-0 with 71 points. It's just, for me, if Florida was playing in the Central Division, I think they would be towards where Kalamazoo and Indianapolis would be at. The, the, the division that they play in, the next closest team is South Carolina. They're 25-18-4-0 with 54 points. I say that again, 54 points. Orlando is 25-18-3-0 with 53 points. Jacksonville 24-21-2-2 with 52 points. Atlanta is 19-19-7-1 with 46 points. Norfolk 19-24-3-3 with 44 points. And the worst team in the East Coast Hockey League is still the Allen Americans with 16-34-2 with 38 points. But the worst in the Eastern Conference is the Greenville Swamp Rabbits at 17-33-2. With 39 points. So the that's your ECHL game notes and standings going forward into this weekend's play. As you're listening to all Andy offered today right here on the Anchor Network. Whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now. However you're listening to me. Wherever you're listening to me. Thank you for tuning in. And let's dive into the end of the program tonight. And it's time for Andy Rants. So it's now time for Andy Rants, and uh, first, before I begin Andy Rants, I always like to say to you guys, uh, I want to thank you for tuning in to the program, and thank you for making the show possible. Um, it is truly a pleasure to give you this guy, to give you guys my opinion on sports and sports talk here in the local Northwest Ohio, Southeast Michigan, and local and national feed, regional and national feed. Um, we always, you can always be a part of our show. You can follow us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred. And use the hashtag AAALive. So if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet to the podcast, what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. And um, we will see and pass the show along to your friends, your neighbors, all those that love sports. Pass it along to them so uh, it's time for Andy Rants tonight and it is a two-part Andy Rants tonight and first and foremost I want to talk about what you heard earlier in the show about the Arena Football League now if you haven't heard if you if you were buzzing past the show you wanted to hear a certain segment like the NHL segment or the walleye segment or or about BG basketball you pass through everything the the Arena Football League is coming back and they're putting a team back in Columbus at Nationwide Arena. So, with that in mind, I want to say this. For me, it's great for the capital city to get the arena football team back. And the, the Cleveland Gladiators will be back after the queue has been redone. But why not put it in Toledo? 
why not put an AFL franchise in Toledo? Now, sure, we had an opportunity to have an arena football team here in Toledo, an AFL 2, which is the developmental league in the arena football league, and they were going to be called the Toledo Bullfrogs before AFL 2 decided to fold. And then when they came back, teams that were out towards the West Coast, so it was not costing, it was costing a lot to ship teams all around. Well, now with the AFL back, you have teams in Columbus, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. You have teams also over on the East Coast. You have Philadelphia, uh, New York, Atlantic City. Teams like that. Um, and you'll have more teams added as, as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. Why not put a franchise in Toledo? I think it would do very, very well in the arena. True, we had one opportunity for an indoor football team, and we had it, and it was the old Cleveland lingerie football league, if we all remember that, how that went. There was 30 people in the stands. There was more people working the game than there was play, than watching the game. And But... The equipment is at the Huntington Center. It's in a bo- in a uh, boiler room. The turf is there. Uh, the equipment is there. The shot clock and the, the play clock is still uh, working at the Huntington Center. So why not put it to use? Why doesn't Toledo Sports Inc. make the investment and make sure that the building is used all summer long? Because after the walleye are done in April and May, the building sits empty. You have random concerts here and there. But why not make put a, putting a, put a sporting event or a sports event in there? True, you have conferences that happen at Seagate Convention, Convention Center a lot. But why not put an arena football team in the city of Toledo? If Columbus can get one back, if Cleveland's getting theirs back, and you know Las Vegas might be getting their team back, I was hearing a rumor today that they were going to get their team back. Why not put one team in the NF in 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 the Huntington Center? Why not resurrect what the team should have been, the Bullfrogs? Let's make the move. Let's see what happens. Just put put the application in. See what happens. I guarantee you there will be a lot of people that will purchase season tickets. I might even purchase season tickets for it. We'll see what happens. And it's good to see the AFL coming back. Now, I criticize, I say good to see the Arena Football League come back. But I'm going to say this, too. So I'm going to contradict myself a little bit on this. We are at a crossroads, folks, in this world. Too much is too much, in my opinion. This past Saturday, we saw, we saw a developmental league called the AAF, the American Allegiance Football League, AAFL. Uh, they'll have teams on the, down in the southern section of the country, and it's a developmental league. Now, there's some former MAC players like Logan Woodside from the University of Toledo's playing. 
And they want to make this a developmental league so that the players are ready to go for spring football. For spring, for training camps. To that I say, too much is too much. And think about it next year. You have the XFL coming in. You have the Federal League that's coming in. You have the AAFL. And don't forget, you have the NFL as well too. Too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing. And true, the AAFL drew a, a massive rating on Saturday night on on CBS. Because a lot of people were disappointed in how bad the Super Bowl was. They wanted a good football game and they never got it. They wanted offense and they never got it. So they came out and people were watching the games. San Antonio and, and, and San Diego were the two teams that they were playing in the Alamo Dome. To me, the thing is, too much is too much. When you're going to have college, and it honestly tam- tampers the game to me. Because the college kids are going to be, are going to make the decision at high school whether or not they want to play college football or they want to go to the AAFL and make money so they can have the opportunity to play in the NFL. I think it's a joke. I hope this league does not survive. I think this is going to be another one of those USFL, XFL first-year situations. It'll be popular. It'll be great. But it'll die off. And great, you know, the ratings were great in week one. But that's the same thing as what happened in the XFL. They had great first first week ratings. Second week comes and they bombed. Absolutely bombed. So we'll see what happens with week two and week three of this AAFL situation. And I just I just don't see it. Just to see it. And the third thing I want to talk about on the Indy Rants tonight. Our Temi, we're, we're continuing with the Bob watch. Bob and Brett watch. Our Temi Panarin announced that he is leaving his agency, agent, and he has signed a contract with with the agency that Sergei Bobrovsky is using. You want to talk about collusion. We're not talking about, we're, we're, this is a real Russian investigation because Panarin and Bob are both Russian. Kekalainen is in trouble, folks. We're in trouble. I'll say it again. I said it three weeks ago. I will say it again. Offer these guys a four-year deal apiece with at least 50 to $60 million apiece. Offer it up. If they don't take it, then let's make a move because we are now, what, three weeks, two weeks away from the trade deadline and the Jackets need pieces and how Bob has been playing lately now it's starting to tell me that something's happening he's winning games he's becoming the old Bob himself he's either A. playing for a new team or for a better position wherever he wants to go or B. he's actually playing for this team 
Brett has the one goal against against um uh, against Las Vegas this past weekend. Hasn't been really that much of an asset. He's been getting more assists than anything else. So let's make the move and let's get the job done with Bob and Panarin. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. This is how I like my ice cream. Plain and simple. And that's going to wrap it up for all Andy offered tonight. Uh, looking forward to SmackDown tonight here at the Huntington Center. I'll be checking my phone often for the Jackets uh, Capitals game. Um, looking forward to seeing, hopefully, you know, getting the opportunity to see the Miz. And um, Miz is my favorite wrestler. I like the Miz. His ring ability has gotten a lot better. Um, they have a gauntlet match tonight. Looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with this whole Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair situation. Um, I'd be surprised if Ronda Rousey doesn't show up tonight. I would like to see Ronda Rousey show up tonight, but I doubt it. I doubt it. It'd be shocking. But we'll see. That's why you go to the events. I'm on the floor tonight. If you find me on the floor, stop by and say hello. And uh, next week on All Andy Alford, we'll recap the Jackets' big four games. And um, we'll also talk about the the walleye as well, too. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to speak with Mr. Everett Fitzhugh himself. Um, Looking forward to chatting with him. We're going to talk not only about ECHL hockey, but his thoughts on the Super Bowl as well as on college on college sports and his time at Bowling Green as well, too. We're going to have that discussion as well, too. So looking forward to talking with the golden voice himself, Mr. Everett Fitzhugh himself. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for all Andy offered tonight. I hope you enjoyed the program. Remember to hit the subscribe button and pass the show along. And until next week when I talk to you guys again, this is Andy offered saying I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you root for at home, and to my teams, the Jackets. Go Jackets! Go Walleye and go Cyclones. Don't know who I'm going to root for this weekend. Go Falcons. Go State. And awesome, baby. And remember, victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. Have a great rest of the week, everybody. I'll talk to you guys next week for another edition of All Andy Alford. Love you. Talk to you guys then. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at All Andy Alford. It is at All Andy Alford. And use the hashtag AAA Live. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor.